gathered together today uh, to be reminded of who we are, to be reminded of whose we are, and to be reminded that we belong to each other. But I think we also come together this morning to be reminded of hope. And so we read again, uh, we read from Psalm 42. And as we reflect on that, let's pray. God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, um, some of our greatest prophets today are poets. Uh, they paint the world as it is, both broken and fragile, but they also paint how it could be full of hope and love. Um, maybe when you think of, of a poet, who are some of the poets that you think of? Uh, share some of that in the comments below. Who are some of the poets that you think of first when you think of a poet? Uh, maybe it's someone like Shakespeare or a poet like Mary Oliver, um, or maybe the first poet that you can think of is Dr. Seuss. Um, who are the poets that you can think of who uh, paint the world both as it is and how it could be? Who shares some of those things? Uh, Robert Frost. Um, there's lots of poets for sure at work. Uh, one of the poets that I uh, think about is uh, my best friend, Lin-Manuel Miranda. Okay, we're not really best friends, at least he doesn't know that we're best friends, um, but we're best friends. Um, so Lin-Manuel Miranda is um, the writer of the musical Hamilton, um, which won, uh, won 11 Tony Awards and has become a force in the theater world. After, uh, after Hamilton won um, their Tonys, uh, one of uh, the acceptance speech, um, Lin-Manuel Miranda shared a sonnet that he wrote. And so here's the sonnet that Lin-Manuel Miranda wrote. He said, my wife's the reason anything gets done. She nudges me towards promise by degrees. She's a perfect symphony of one. Our son is her most beautiful reprise. We chase the melodies that seem to find us until they're finished, songs and start to play when senseless acts of tragedy remind us that nothing here is promised, not one day. This show is proof that history remembers. We live through times when hate and fear seem stronger. We rise and fall and light from dying embers, remembrances that hope and love last long. And love is love is love is love is love is love is love cannot be killed or swept aside. I sing Vanessa's symphony, Eliza tells her story. Now fill the world with music, love and pride. And I think that's a beautiful poem. Um, I think it's a beautiful way of, of talking about how the world is broken and fragile and also how it could be full of love and light. It's a poem that shares the pain of this world. When senseless acts of tragedy remind us that nothing here is promised, not one day, 
and then finishes strong with remembrances that hope and love is love is love is love is love is love cannot be killed or swept aside. This is the world as it should be, full of love and hope. Now the Psalms uh, contain a lot of poetry in scripture. Uh, it's sometimes called the song book or the poetry book of scripture. And it may not be the rhyming poetry that we're used to or think of immediately, like from Robert Frost or Shel Silverstein or Dr. Seuss. And some of that is sometimes due to language or translation, but not all poetry has to rhyme either. In his study and critique of the Psalms, Walter Brueggemann, who is an Old Testament scholar, he says in part that the Psalms help the religious community form a setting for imaginative creative speech that forms new worlds around us. Which helps make sense that what goes on in the Psalms touches our own lives. There are many parts of Christian tradition that ignores darkness. When we think even just about Holy Week, it's easy, it's easy to go from Palm Sunday to Easter without remembering that Good Friday is in there also. I mean, even the Christmas story is told in beautiful arcs, missing sometimes the story of Herod and the slaughter of the innocents. Those stories that are difficult and heartbreaking and hard. And sometimes there's little sense to be made within them. And yet, as Brueggemann says, Hope is rooted precisely in the midst of loss and darkness, where God is surprisingly present. In order to experience resurrection, there must first be a death. And this idea of hope makes the psalm so subversive that even in the middle of loss and pain and darkness, God is present offering hope. When you watch the evening news, or maybe it's even the morning news, or the afternoon news, or the mid-afternoon news, or, well, it's easy to just get caught in the cycle of the news. And when you watch the news, you're often told of the darkness, and not always about the hope. And yet to live in a naive view of the world that everything is good and perfect and wonderful and sunshine and roses, well, that's not reality either. There's a balance between these. I've taught art classes with kids and um, in one particular art class, um, we were making um, kaleidoscopes. And uh, as we were putting together the kaleidoscopes, one of the kids um, had watched something on the news that they had found frightening and asked um, why people get hurt. And then somebody said, yeah, why do people have to die at all? Why don't people like each other? And we started to have some really hard conversations. And I gave them some mandala coloring pages to color and I jokingly, or so I thought, uh, I jokingly said, um, that, uh, that sometimes people color these to help calm themselves down or when they feel stressed. I said, so, you know, if you ever feel stressed, but of course you kids never feel stressed, right? Um, 
And they responded back with a resounding, uh, yes. And I repeated the question because I was just surprised at the quickly, at how quickly they responded and how strongly they responded. Um, and I said, do you feel stressed? Yes, they said. Um, and one of the girls said to me, she said, all the time, Pastor Melissa, all the time, life is hard. Kids know how hard the world is, even when maybe we don't want them to, or we try and, and shelter them from it a little bit. And yet, even in the darkness, there is light. So for a brief time in that art class, we got to color and create and make our kaleidoscopes and design and dream and share. We had space to find those moments of light and hope. And finding those moments in the midst of chaos is a balm for your soul. Psalm 42 is a psalm about darkness. Where is your God? It's a question that's asked over and over in the psalm. Where is your God? But it's also a question that's asked even of us. And a question asked of the writer's self. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why have you forgotten me? As with a deadly wound in my body, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me continually, where is your God? These are lines of darkness. And maybe even these are lines that you have shared in your time alone or at home. You've wondered, you've had moments of feeling downcast, frustrated, alone. Now I'm someone who tries to look at life through a lens of optimism and sometimes I'm better at it than others. And then there's those moments that take your breath away. And we've had so many moments like that, even just this week. Um, last night, as the tornadoes uh, came through some of our local areas or the storms happened, we had moments that we wondered, as more lives are lost to this virus, racist attacks against Asians have increased dramatically. There's been violence around the world. Why are you downcast, oh my soul? These are some pretty good reasons. Where is your God? I've heard from people in the last few weeks um, wondering where God is. Where is your God? And don't you say that God is God? Why does God let these things happen? Why is this happening at all? And Sometimes the answer, I don't know, isn't very satisfying. And sometimes I don't know why these things happen. Making sense out of senselessness isn't our job. I also know that part of our job is to resist evil 
injustice and oppression in whatever forms they present themselves. And one of the ways that we resist evil, injustice, and oppression is to hold on to hope. Even in the middle of the darkness, God is present. The psalmist continues and shares, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon from Mount Mazar. The land of Jordan was just at the edge of the land that the Israelites were in exile. Just away from the land that had been promised. So if someone was in this place, it meant that they could see the land of exile, but was still in the promised land. So it was almost like they had a foot in both lands, like a foot in both worlds, from this sacred place in the promised land. They could see both. And Mount Mazar, this is the only time that this place is mentioned in the Bible. In Hebrew, it literally means small or insignificant. Mount small, Mount insignificant are basically sort of a big hill. This place has little to no meaning other than even in the small and insignificant times and places, even in those times, I remember you, God, in the sacred, in the profane, in the extraordinary, in the ordinary, in the big, in the small, in exile, in promise, in big or in small and insignificant, I remember you. And deep calls to deep. Deep calls to deep at the thunder of your cataracts. All your waves and your billows have gone over me. Deep calls to deep. Now, if you read this in different translations, you may have read in the uh, in the CEB version, the way that this verse goes, it says, deep called to deep at the noise of your waterfalls. All your massive waves surged over me. Or in the message, it goes, chaos calls to chaos, to the tune of white water rapids, your breaking surf, your thundering breakers crash and crush me. Deep calls to deep. We have all been created in the image of God, a divine spark, sacred worth. And the deepness within us calls to the deepness of God. Deep calls to deep. God is never far away, even when things seem to be crashing down around us. Deep calls to deep. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my help and my God. Help is not just on the way. Help has always been present. Life is hard. But we're not alone. May we be able to look around and see the goodness May we, may we imagine the world not just as it is, but how it can be. 
And may we not just imagine that, but may we help create it. May we do what we can to help create the hope and the world that we imagine. As Lin-Manuel Miranda said, we chase the melodies that seem to find us until they're finished songs and start to play when senseless acts of tragedy remind us that nothing here is promised, not one day. The show is proof that history remembers. We live through times when hate and fear seem stronger. We rise and fall and light from dying embers, remembrances that hope and love last long. And love is love is love is love is love is love cannot be killed or swept aside. Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my help and my God. We're doing a lot of waiting. Waiting to leave home, waiting for deliveries to happen, waiting for test results. We're doing a lot of waiting, waiting, waiting. And maybe some of us are really good at waiting, but I think the majority of us are not that great. And there's a sort of passive waiting. There's a waiting that you wait for something to happen. But it's a different kind of waiting when we wait with hope or we wait for hope. Maybe you have been saying things like, Jesus, fix this. God, can you do something? And the response that we get back is a call. Jesus asked back, how? How will you help me? How will you join me in this work? How will we build the hope that we wait for? How will we join Jesus in the work of redeeming the world? How will we make the world a better place here and now and for the future? How can you build hope this week while you're at home or maybe while you're working. Let's do some hope together this week. We'll do hope. We won't just wait for it, we'll build it. We'll do it. So how can you build hope this week? How can you do hope? Maybe for you, it's going for a walk and cleaning up the garbage on the sidewalk and on the roads. Um, I saw someone did that earlier this week. Maybe that's one of the ways that you do hope this week. Uh, maybe you call someone that you haven't heard from in a while and you check in on them and just find out how they are and, and catch up with them. Maybe that's how you do hope. Maybe you put hearts in your windows for people to see and to find, to see hope, to maybe see something visible. Make a surprise delivery to someone, a healthcare professional who might need some encouragement someone who's considered an essential worker or someone who feels alone and isolated. Maybe make a surprise delivery, put something on their porch. Maybe it's buying lunch or dinner from a local restaurant for yourself or maybe for someone else. Maybe providing meals for some of those essential workers or to someone else who might be in need. Maybe it's making face masks out of cloth and fabric or making blankets or quilts to someone who might be in need, donating food to a food pantry. There are a lot of ways that we can hope 
and build hope even just this week. And when you do those acts of hope, share them. And it's not in a way to make yourself seem better or um, to look good or better than anybody else, but sometimes in sharing those acts of hope, we're inspired and we're reminded that hope exists. And so we may need a reminder too, to share that with others. We want to make the world look better, to look more hopeful. One act of resistance at a time. Why are you cast down, O oh my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my help and my God. Amen. When we, um, at this point in our service, when we're gathered together, we have our time of offering. And um, again, our, our ushers aren't here this morning and we're not gathered together, um, but we are still inviting you to send in your offering. Um, you can send